I guess you could say role models, relatively speaking, of people who had been broken into the publishing world. And I had decided that poetry was it. That was my future. And so I looked to people like Anna and people like uh, uh, Rudy Anaya. Uh, I looked at them and said, well, you know, maybe by doing what they're doing, I can, I can eventually uh, make this thing actually happen. So I, I started out pretty clueless in the, in the mid middle 1980s. Uh, to, to earn money, I, I began reporting, but I also began writing poetry in a very serious way. Um, I published my first collection of poetry in an anthology of, with two other Chicanas. It was published by Bilingual Press at that time. Bilingual was uh, going through some major changes in terms of its uh, technology. And so there was a lot of waiting for the damn book to come out and wondering when it was going to come out. And uh, so the first experience of publishing was um, felt like uh, I'd turned my, my uh, baby over and then didn't know what was going to happen to it. Uh, then, of course, I went through the nine-month uh, indictment and trial and finally, in 1989, the book uh, of poetry came out, the anthology. And I had quite a network already set up in terms of reading and speaking nationally because of what I had to do uh, in the course of my indictment, speaking out about First Amendment issues and also about sanctuary and what was happening in Central America. And so that put me on the road uh, for about uh, quite some time uh, after my poetry was published doing readings. In uh, 1992, I wrote Mother Tongue. It took about nine months, and I had a sense that I didn't want to waste time schlepping it around New York, not to mention I didn't quite know how. But I did have a friend who had connections with Holt, and he sent it to an editor at Holt, and uh, it was rejected with a very interesting letter, which becomes more appalling over the years. An editor at Holt uh, told me that what she objected, well, first let me backtrack and say Mother Tongue is about a, uh, a Chicana living in New Mexico who is, falls in love with a, uh, a Salvadoran refugee in 1982, which is the height of the Salvadoran Civil War. And she's fairly typical of my generation. We, we've had to recover Spanish. Uh, we weren't born, I mean, we weren't brought up speaking Spanish. Uh, we were too young to be shaped politically or spiritually by the Vietnam experience or the Chicano Movimiento. And so in many ways it was Central America that was our point of departure for developing a critique of, of U.S. policy and understanding our place uh, within uh, U.S. history. Um, anyway, so that's, Mother Tongue deals with that issue and arises from the experiences of that time, particularly as a reporter I was covering the sanctuary uh, movement. Uh, anyway, I got this, this interesting letter from an editor at Holt who rejected Mother Tongue because she felt it was too middle class, that the, that the uh, character Maria uh, was too, too, reflected too much on her inner life, I guess you could call it. Uh, that's, in other words, the, the impression that she was giving me was that I didn't write a book about someone who was you know, picking lettuce or tomatoes in a field, uh, which of course you know, is, is, uh, was kind of interesting, you know, the message was, this is, this is too middle class, this is a topic that maybe a white girl sh uh, can write about, but not, uh, not a Chicana. And um, anyway, so that was, that was the end of that. I, that was kind of my first taste in some ways of, of, of someone's, you know, some Easterner's preconception of what Chicano or what they thought Chicano literature should be, which was even more interesting 
for me, because coming from New Mexico, the, the immigrant experience is, is, is foreign to us. You know, I can trace my family back to, to uh, 1703, and that's just the genealogy charts. You know, then our, our Indian ancestors have been there since, you know, the beginning of time, according to our creation story. So, so the, we didn't cross the border. The border crossed us. You know, we were Spain, then we were Mexico, then we were United States. So to expect me to write the book about, you know, picking lettuce in, in the migrant field somewhere, you know, it, it didn't add up. But that was the implication of the, in the letter. And it was bothersome, too, because this editor clearly didn't get that what Mother Tongue deals with very, very heavily is spirituality, uh, the, the Indio, Mexicano, medieval Spanish spirituality that, that is so predominant in New Mexico. So anyway, that was my taste of, of my first taste of... Uh, Eastern Publishing, or lack thereof, and I didn't want to waste time trying to find an agent, and so I sent the book to Bilingual Press. They, they accepted it immediately. It was supposed to come out a year later, but then it won the Westaf, Western States Book Award for, for Fiction, and so there was a slight delay because there's a timetable with that. It turned out to be a huge blessing because uh, uh, Westaf was very committed to promoting it, so I spent quite a bit of the last, well, I guess year and a half, just traveling nonstop uh, with the book. Uh, let's see, then what happened? Then last fall, I found myself not knowing what I was going to do with my life. I was impoverished, working on another, uh, working on a second novel called Mexican Rubies. Um, and then all of a sudden it went up for, for auction. I'm not even sure how the whole damn thing works. But basically, Warner made a floor bid, and then Penguin jumped in, and, and then Ballantyne jumped in. And uh, Ballantyne, the One World imprint, uh, decided to won the auction. And before I knew it, four other, it's been picked up now in, in four other countries. It's due to come out over the next 12 to 18 months in, in Spanish, out of Spain, in, um, in Dutch, in, in Portuguese, out of Brazil, and then in, um, in Germany. So this has all happened very quickly. Oh, one thing to mention, too, is even though I got that rejection letter initially, uh, an agent contacted me who had somehow, through Holt, seen my manuscript. And she wrote me immediately and said, please, please, you know, send me whatever you write next. And so I got, you know, very mixed messages from two uh, important perspectives out of, uh, out of New York. So suddenly life changed last fall. I, you know, I, mother tongue is now coming out October 1st. Um, I now have a, a little bit of money so that I can actually work on Mexican rubies. And let's see, I lost my train of thought here. So, oh, this is an, okay, another interesting thing that's happened. I came out to meet the women at One World, and I was really astonished because I had always been told that, you know, when you go back east to the big publishing houses, you're going to encounter these people who really, um, aren't literate and, you know, basically the bottom line is all, all, all that matters. And I know that in many cases that's true. Uh, but in this particular case, I've been very blessed because the one world women, as I call them, uh, Cheryl Woodruff, the founder, African-American woman, and uh, Joanne Wyckoff, my editor, the one world women have really made it a point to involve me in the whole birth, rebirthing of this book. It's going to come out in hard and paper, even though it came out in hard and paper through bilingual press. I mean, they've consulted me on, you know, what should be on the cover and, you know, what, just everything, every detail. And, and that kind of back and forth has been really precious to me, really. Uh, it feels like we're a bunch of midwives 
gathered around the book, ensuring that each little detail is going to come out right. So I haven't had that sense of a loss of control. Um, they've invited me to, you know, offer any kind of insight I can on how to spin the book. Um, because, I, again, I think it, while it deals with Central America, it, it also deals heavily with theology and spirituality, which is how I frame my politics. Uh, so anyway, there has been a sense of being involved with New York in a very collaborative fashion. Next book of poetry will come out with the University of Arizona. You know, I'm not sure what that experience So-called Latino writer in the United States. You know, we're getting more attention than we used to, more publications than we used to. I don't think that that's anything that, you know, we should be grateful to publishing houses for. That's something that the talent of individual Latino writers have, has accomplished and <laughs> the business's perception of a market out there that wasn't there before. Um, I think people make a mistake, you know, when they think uh, that the New York, particularly the New York publishing industry, is really a literary community. It's it's, it's a corporate community. Um, uh, uh, we're all aware. I think you know that this. Uh, it you know it, it it's not a dilemma. It may just be an irony that that it's a very. That's also a problem that every single other you know, non-Anglo community in this country you know, faces when, when they write. If there's, if there's any danger in that, you know, and I'm not saying it necessarily is, is that uh, um, they perhaps create an image of what a uh, Latino writer is, or people think a Latino writer ought to be, that because they basically you know, base their decisions on what is sold best often, you know, it's not maybe as large and diverse as it ought to be or could be. Um, you know, I'm not a Latino in the way that word is, I think, conventionally used in this country. Uh, I come from a, a middle-class immigrant background, Russian-Jewish on one side, uh, Mestiza Catholic Guatemalan on the other side. Uh, for me, um, because of the way my family was and sort of broke apart, my sense of family was always very, very tied to Guatemala, my only grandparents, cousins, etc. I spent a lot of my childhood there. And particularly because of how I chose to uh, live my adulthood, uh, my ties to that part of the world especially deepened. I spent all of the 80s working as a journalist in Central America. And since then, uh, you know, in the 90s, I've spent pretty much half my time living in Mexico City and have just come back from there. So I think that I write out of a sense, I mean, I kind of tend to think of myself almost as sort of a, 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 you know, a dual national, somebody with two nationalities more than necessarily anything else. 
and it's that tension, that sense, that the, that, that sense of uh, a divided sense of place, I think, that motivates my work, that's at the heart of my work more than even the sense of divided uh, ethnicity. What happened to my book when it was published, I had a, a, a lot of support from my publisher, Grove Atlantic, right from the start. They signed me up when I was working as a journalist in Central America. And, um, you know, it took me a long time to write that book, about five years, you know, often, thank God, I wrote most of it in Guatemala, and thankfully, you don't need a lot of money to live on there. And I could get by even like $3,000 a year. And um, when the book came out, uh, you know, it, 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 I, I've always said, you know, that it was the rest of the United States and then England and then parts of Europe and Spain and Mexico when the book came out in Spanish that sort of saved me, I felt, from the um, fate of oblivion New York had in store for me, things that just been left up to New York. What happened when my book was published was that we got about, you know, 40 national reviews. Um, it was a Penn Faulkner finalist that won the uh, Academy of Arts and Letters Prize for first novel. Uh, I was happy with that, and I thought, wow, you know, I'm going to get a good paperback deal, and I really need the cash. And astonishingly, nothing happened. Uh, at the time, I recall being told by my editor that they were just absolutely positive that it wasn't going to sell, right? Uh, one of the prominent houses offered us $7,000 and said there's no way this book is going to sell more than 2,000 copies. I said, hmm. Well, my editor said, well, we'll keep it ourselves and we'll publish it ourselves as a paperback. Well, I just got back from Mexico uh, a few days ago and found out from my editor it's now sold over 30,000 copies. You know, uh, they were wrong. Now, I sat and I thought about it, you know, and I, it's all water under the bridge now and no big deal, but at the time, I was very perturbed. And I thought, what's going on here? You know, I mean, what does a book have to do? And I think that... Uh, I began to wonder if maybe they thought there was a certain thing a Latino writer was supposed to do, New York being always a very trend besotted town, that in some way I wasn't writing the way the writers that had been designated as hot Latinos were writing. And I probably wasn't, you know. And I think that, I think that uh, audiences and readers, I think that in the end, you know, good work triumphs over that stuff. You know, it finds its readers everywhere. And um, I think the uh, obligation of um, Latino writers, and I think it's our responsibility to not allow ourselves to be pigeonholed, you know, and, and, and classified and categorized in the ways that it's just the nature of a corporate entity like New York Publishing, you know, to do that, right? I think that um, a thing that sometimes disturbs me a little bit when I when I uh, see the way Latino writers are talked about in this country is that I think we have to be very careful we don't become seen as a kind of vibrant, marginalized sideshow of American literature. You know, if you take the example of England, right? You would never, you know, hear anybody say the great English writers are Martin Amos and Julian Barnes, and then we have all these interesting colonial guys over on the side 
who are telling us about the experience of immigration. You know, Rushdi, Ishiguru, Beno, Kri, etc., right? Um, that happens here. I recently was reading an essay in a magazine where a guy, an American novelist, was, you know, writing about the novel today. And the, and the implication was, he said, yes, you know, the new Latino writers are telling us about the new experience of immigration. And the implication was that the serious work of American literature was being done by somebody else, right? We shouldn't accept that, you know. Uh, it's as much our responsibility as it is the publishing community's responsibility not to pigeonhole us in that way. I think that writers, you know, should always be pushing the envelope, should never be complacent, should never be complacent with a certain stereotypical image of success that may be available to them, should always, always, you know, be cabrones, you know. And um, uh, uh, I think in that sense, especially, you know, uh, for me, the model of, uh, of the colonial writers in England, for instance, has been, a, has been a marvelous example, you know, where that was a novel that was, the English novel 20 years ago, 15 years ago, was seen as stagnant and very small. And those writers went in there and blew it open and renovated the language. Um, I think we're, we're, we're very much capable of doing that here and that we should not allow ourselves to be limited in any way or to be seen as writers who are merely here to tell Americans about the new experience of immigration. You know, in my own case, for example, um, I think, okay, I'm almost done. <laughs> well, I, I can finish later. I'll say what I was gonna say later. Go ahead. Okay, I was, I was just simply gonna say, for example, right, the history of American meddling in the third world, right, in Central America and Latin America and the Latin American Caribbean, right, that is a theme, you know, that should not be seen, for example, as a theme for serious, you know, white writers like Robert Stone and Norman Mailer alone, you know, that's, that's a theme that's very resonant to people from, a, from our sorts of background, a theme that, you know, we shouldn't, those kinds of things are not the sort of thing we should shy away from, and something that, you know, we can do in a different way and better because we know both sides of the story, you know? And um, anyway, I'll say more about this later. Thanks. I think what I'll do is just, um, first of all, describe what my own personal publishing history has been and, and um, then maybe reflect on that a little bit. Um, I was basically clueless about the publishing world. I, my degree was actually in public policy from Princeton, and after uh, four years back east, I decided to move back to the Southwest, and at that time there were very few 